Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. Ethiopia is on the brink of a potentially devastating civil war. On November 4th, the Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed launched military operations against the Tigray People's Liberation Front, the TPLF, which is the group that controls the Tigray region in northern Ethiopia. The TPLF was the dominant political party in the coalition that ruled Ethiopia for decades. It was through this coalition, known as the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Front, that the TPLF leader Melis Zenawi ruled Ethiopia for 27 years until his death in 2012. Tensions have been simmering now for some time between the federal government, which Abiy controls, and the TPLF. After Abiy came to power in 2018, he dissolved that ruling coalition, and eventually the TPLF lost the influence they once held. Meanwhile, Abiy enacted a series of democratic reforms and also entered into a peace agreement with Ethiopia's longtime foe, Eritrea. And it was for this peacemaking act that Abiy was conferred the Nobel Peace Prize in 2019. Now, just one year later, Abiy has launched a military campaign that could very well spark a widespread civil war. On the line with me to discuss recent events in Ethiopia and offer some analysis of why the country is on the brink of civil war is Mastawal Terefe. She is an Ethiopian policy analyst and lawyer based in New York who formerly served as a fellow at the Ethiopian Attorney General's Office supporting legal and justice reform efforts. We kick off discussing the events of November 4 before having a broader conversation about the causes of escalating tensions between Abiy and the TPLF. As you will see in this conversation, there is a great risk right now that this conflict between the federal government and the TPLF spreads to other armed groups that are organized along ethnic lines. The risk for a calamitous civil war is very high, and just to put this into context, Ethiopia has about five times the population of Syria. A sectarian civil war would be a massive humanitarian crisis for the Ethiopian people and an immense threat to international peace and security. Today's episode, I think, serves as both a good explanation of what is happening and also a dire warning that unless the sides de-escalate, this crisis could spiral out of control. So I just have one announcement today. Speaking of peace, this December 7th to 9th, join a global group of doers in taking on the planet's biggest challenges and shaping what comes next. PeaceCon is a unique global gathering of peace builders, policymakers, activists, and philanthropists hosted by the Alliance for Peacebuilding. 
PeaceCon 2020 will convene participants to address the shifting world order and how best to take on global fragility, violent extremism, systemic racism, exclusion, and climate disruption, among other issues. PeaceCon will also consider strategies to elevate and integrate peacebuilding in a collective effort to shape a more just, secure, and peaceful future in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Confirmed speakers include the McCain Institute's Ambassador Mark Green, Ford Foundation President Darren Walker, Time's Up CEO Tina Chen, Dr. John Paul Lederach, Congresswoman Grace Meng, and many more. Visit allianceforpeacebuilding.org slash PeaceCon-2020 to learn more about PeaceCon 2020 taking place virtually from December 7 to 9. Register today. And today's episode is produced in part with support from the Carnegie Corporation of New York for a series of episodes featuring African expertise on peace and security issues in Africa. You can listen to other episodes in this series by going to globaldispatchespodcast.com. All right, now here is my conversation with Mastawal Terefe. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Yeah, it's a it's still an evolving situation, like you said. But November 4 is when the federal government, the Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister Abe, announced that he has ordered a military operation, a military offensive uh, against the Tigray regional state. So the Tigray regional state is one of um, the federal the regional states that we have in the Ethiopian federal system. And it has been, you know, going through this confrontation with the federal government as a result of um, issues that we'll probably discuss. But the original government's decision to hold an election that the federal government doesn't recognize. So this confrontation has been building up for months. But November 4th, um, officially, the government uh, decided that uh, it would intervene militarily with the objective of basically uh, taking out of Tigray the leadership of that regional government. They are part of a party called the Tigray People's Liberation Front. So this is an offensive that the government describes as a very calculated move to take them out and then put a self uh, federal government-appointed government for Tigray. Is there anything that um, sparked this decision by Prime Minister Abi to make this sudden move? So there are uh, many explanations, I guess, that many analysts would give on why that specific day. But the government's account, the federal government's account, is that um, the day before, uh, or on, on November 4th, uh, the Tigran People's Liberation Front, the regional government I described, uh, attacked a northern part of the Ethiopian Defense Forces, the Northern Command, it's called. Um, and the government, the federal government claims that the Tigran party, um, regional government attacked that military base, killed many federal defense forces 
and took uh, possession of weapons and military equipment there. So that's the federal government's explanation, whereas the regional government rejects that argument and says this war has been building up and they were pre- preparing themselves to defend the regional government, which they deem to be uh, to have a constitutional right of self-governance and administration. So the account from the Tigran side is is different. But the government's explanation is that it's a response to uh, an attack on the federal defense forces, and it sees it as a necessary uh, measure. So we're speaking on November 11th. Uh, what do we know about what's happening right now in, in Tigray? I mean, my understanding is first that that like all internet and communication is is basically being shut out i you know i follow humanitarian issues very closely and i'm hearing grumblings from the un and humanitarian community that they just don't have comms and communication uh to be able to conduct their operations uh, but i mean what do you know uh, about the fighting that's happening right now so what we know is that you're right the communication lines have been interrupted since the beginning of the offensive um, that includes the internet, phone conversation, I mean, phone lines, and also um, any type of uh, uh, basically banking and other financial transactions. They have been stopped uh, with the objective, the government says, of stopping the regional government from uh, building up its capacity to retaliate. That's that's what's happening. In terms of humanitarian crisis, we already today are seeing 8,000 or more of Tigran or Ethiopians in Tigray fleeing to Sudan. Um, humanitarian groups are saying this is just the beginning of a very large-scale humanitarian consequence of this potential uh, potentially protracted war, uh, war, and it's going to be also a huge um, obstacle for neighboring countries, including Sudan and Eritrea. So that's sort of what's happening now. I mean, the government the federal government says that this will be quick and everything will go back to normal soon. But most people watching the situation know that um, it's going to be hard because both both sides are heavily armed and um, the Tigran uh, the Tigran party um, understands that uh, this is a sort of an existential crisis for what it deems to be its right to exist in the federation. And it's probably worth emphasizing something you just said, which is that these armies are not like small militias. You have like the Ethiopian Federal Army and the Tigray uh, Army is not some tiny militia. It's, it's like a, a, a well-armed armed group and, and, and it has its own sort of military and history and traditions. Exactly. I think that's why this crisis is probably um, uh, very um, consequential for the Ethiopian politics and the Horn of Africa, because uh, unlike other regions, regional states in, in Ethiopia, the Tigran region um, and the party uh, has had history of resistance and rebellion, um, uh, re- rebel movement that led to actually the kind of ethnic federalist state that we have right now. So they've had decades of experience fighting against the military regime before um, and also have massive military capacity, which is obviously part of this federal defense um, or, you know, machine that Ethiopia has, but it's stationed in Tigray, the Northern Command. And they say they have basically control over that command, over the government, hmm. or, although the government says um, that's not true. 
So I'd love to learn from you, your, your analysis and your explanation for listeners about how you know we got to this point. Prime Minister Abe came to power, what, in like 2018, That's right. um, promising reforms and implementing a number of, of rather sweeping democratic reforms, liberalizing society, entering into normalization of relations with Ethiopia, for which he was uh, conferred the Nobel Peace Prize in 2019. So you have this leader who held such great promise, uh, yet now seems to be taking his country into a civil war. Like, what happened? How did we get to this point? So, uh, like you said, Mark, so the reforms in 2018 were really, um, you know, thought of as a, you know, historic and transformational, um, you know, historic opportunity for Ethiopia to reinvent itself and um, really get its politics back on track. For 27 plus years, we had almost a one-party dictatorship um, throughout the, you know, three decades. We had mostly TPLF-led but a coalition of other parties leading Ethiopia with an iron fist. Opposition parties were exiled. Um, we had activists in jail for being active uh, on social media and criticizing the government for its um, its problems. So in 2018, when uh, the Abi government came to, or Abi actually uh, got appointed by his party to lead Ethiopia, it was in the background of a massive popular movement uh, mainly led by the Oromo, uh, who are one of the major um, forces of this political revolution. They have been protesting against government dictatorship, but also uh, various historical grievances that they have against the Ethiopian government and the state. Uh, and they were basically, I think, around the end of 2017, um, added added to their grievances and the protests that they were consistently uh, putting was the Amhara, another prominent ethnic group in terms of size in Ethiopia. So they effect, effectively forced the, gov- forced the government, uh, which Abi was a part of also at the time, to accept that the popular demands cannot be prolonged or pushed for so long. And they decided that they would reinvent the ruling party, which is the Ethiopian People's um, Democratic um, front the EPRDF and they say they would help basically the country transition into a democracy a multi-party democracy uh, for two years Abe was uh, going to lead uh, that party and the country towards a multi you know a free and fair election that would result in multi-party democracy what happened since then is as you said Abe did implement a lot of political and economic reforms he um, put together a team of intellectuals and activists and human rights advocates to revamp some of the most draconian laws, including the anti-terrorism proclamation, all these media laws that had been used and weaponized to crack down dissent. He also invited all opposition parties to come back to Ethiopia and do um, what, what they wished to do to prepare for elections. But midway into that process, uh, before even the COVID situation or the pandemic hit, there were questions about whether or not Ethiopia will be able to hold the next election that was scheduled for August 2020. And we saw that opposition parties had different opinions on it, whether it should be postponed 
or whether it's the right time to hold it. And then the pandemic hit and the government, the opposition would say, had a great opportunity to use this excuse to postpone the election. So that's what happened. The election got postponed. And my analysis is that that's the the major um, sort of turning point for where we are right now. Is it fair to say, though, that, you know, as you noted, Abi comes to power with a new base of, of political support, the Oromo, he, he is Oromo, which upset the political balance that had, though authoritarian, had kind of kept the peace, so to speak, in Ethiopia for 27 years, which was a political balance in which the Tigray People's Liberation Front was the key player in this coalition called the EPRDF, right? So the the, the key players like Melis Zanawi, the, the longtime ruler of Ethiopia was from the TPLF, the Tigray party, uh, as part of this broader coalition. So really we're talking about like coalition politics and the TPLF sort of increasingly felt sidelined as Abby came to power. Is that like a fair interpretation? That's a fair interpretation. So this party that you, you were mentioning, the APRDF, was mainly a coalition of four parties. Uh, but there are other parties also that are not formally part of the coalition, but we're working with them. But as you say, the TPLF was deemed to have uh, an enormous influence over the others. And a lot of people would say that the type of um, relationship that the TPLF had with the Oromos and the Amharas uh, and other you know, ethnic groups um, was completely disproportional in terms of the TPLF being a minority ethnic group or representing a minority ethnic group compared to the Oromos and the Paris, which combined form a large majority of Ethiopians. So there was a lot of this, you know, dissent and uh, commitment to basically undo that type of uh, what people would say disproportionate power. But what happened since, since Abe came to power is first, actually, TPLF and Tigrans as a people uh, were very receptive of uh, Prime Minister Abe. He had almost... Uh, unanimous support by the gov- by the country. I mean, um, everywhere you went in the summer of 2018, he was deemed to be um, basically the hope of the nation. Mm-hmm. But then, and, and he's young, right? He, he's young and he's kind of charismatic. You know, it, yeah. it's it, there's like a, a reason people sort of pinned their hopes on him. Exactly, and he also changed um, the relationship that people had with government in Ethiopia. He was, you know, he appeared to be. Uh, humble and uh, and open to engaging, and he had a very big social media personality as well, with a lot of uh, you know pictures and um, PR, uh, you know, going around him as a personality. He created that type of relationship with the people. But I think what happened after that, when the government, uh, Abi's government, decided to uh, execute a few arrest warrants, so. Some high-profile TPLF leaders were, um, were you know, they they deemed they seemed that they were being targeted. So there's this party that led Ethiopia for 27 years together as a coalition, uh, the Front, and then the TPLF uh, started saying that they are being targeted in terms of uh, prosecutions for past corruption and other uh, political political problems that were created. And in addition to that, uh, I would say that. The fallout between Abe and the TPLF kind of started to become uh, a fallout between. So, so in other words, I would say the government started doing these popular messaging around TPLF that 
also started targeting the Tigran people as a whole. And so these documentaries were being aired by the federal government that kind of attacked um, the Tigran speakers as a, as a collective. And so a lot of grievances built up around that. And, and, and uh, there started you know, a clear shift in, on the TPLF side of uh, not wanting to start, sort of collaborate with Abi's agenda for reform. Then Abi decided to create a new party, dissolve the front, that you know sustained um, for about thirty years, um, and created his own party, which is now called the Prosperity Party. He calls it the new, the next step, basically for the for the ruling party. But TPLF did not believe in uh, sort of the shift ideologically or otherwise, uh, and decided that it would not join the party. That's a major break between the federal government and the TPLF. To what extent did Abi's decision to normalize relations with Eritrea, and, and we should remind listeners that Ethiopia and Eritrea, you know, 20 years ago fought this horrible war and never had normal relations until uh, Abi, you know, came to power. To what extent did that drive to normalize relations alienate uh, the TPLF, the Tigrayan People's Liberation Party? That's a big part of the story, actually, um, the story of, you know, the conflict that we're talking about, the military confrontation, because, as you say, the Eritrean um, government and the Eritrean ruling party, if um, we call it that, although it's the, the leader who's really um, single-handedly <laughs> administering Eritrea, had been uh, a friend of the TPLF at some point and then turned a foe of the TPLF. And there's a really... Um, deeply rooted, um, what's called deep rooted, um, you know, vengeance that some people perceive that, you know, he has against the party and the TPLF also has against him as a, as a person, Isaiah Saporki. So when the peace, Nobel Peace Prize and the sort of peacemaking happened, TPLF was not directly involved in it. The prime minister who basically single-handedly went to uh, Asmara and started um, this uh, open up process. So what the TPLF first did was actually admire the res- resolution of that diplomatic um, inter- intervention by Abe, and they actually publicly also supported it and went uh, to, you know, to the length of saying, you know, this is a miracle. We could not have done it after, you know, fighting a war that killed tens of thousands. And then you saw that kind of enthusiasm fed away when you, uh, when um, the TPLF and Abi's relationship also deteriorated. And then TPLF started basically saying that the peace uh, is not on the ground and they feel sort of cornered and targeted now between Abi in the south and then their north, the neighbor uh, Eritrea. And I bring up Eritrea because there is fears that should this war can escalate, it will drag in Eritrea and this will become, you know, a more internationalized conflict. That's right. And in fact, actually, TPLF today and yesterday was saying exactly that, that there are Eritrean militia fighting already in parts of Tigray on the border uh, and that this had been a war orchestrated by Isaias in collaboration with Prime Minister Abi. This is their uh, m- one of the major uh, sort of statements that they make, and that this is why they think um, this war is not a war between sort of domestic forces. 
They think they're getting ganged up on by Eritrea and Ethiopian federal forces. So what what right now uh, is driving the logic of escalation on both sides of this conflict? I would say two main the main things. So the federal government says that this is a law enforcement operation that um, the TPLF is a criminal gang. They call them, uh, you know, a criminal junta that should be eliminated, and that any, um, you know, peace dialogue or ceasefire is going to be conditioned on TPLF surrendering completely uh, its top leadership and also the destruction of the military capabilities uh, that they have now in Tigray, which most people would think uh, or would say is is not acceptable or is not even a condition that the TPLF would consider. Uh, The TPLF says that this is, like I said earlier, an attack by a foreign adversary in collaboration with who they think, someone they think is an elected dictator in the making. That's what they call the prime minister. And they think that uh, this war could have been prevented through a very comprehensive national dialogue about the future of Ethiopia, especially uh, in light of the postponement of the election. So I said earlier, uh, during the pandemic, at the beginning of it, um, there was this legal process that Abiy uh, tried to follow to postpone the elections indefinitely. Uh, TPLF did not accept that process. Not just TPLF, many opposition parties rejected that process as being illegitimate. Uh, many of the opposition parties who rejected that and called for a national dialogue uh, and confronted Prime Minister Abiy very strongly, the leaders of those parties are actually in jail right now. So it's not just TPLF that really dissented um, on the election issue, but TPLF had arms and TPLF is a very prominent military power also in and of itself. That's why they're in war. So I guess like the main thing, again, is that the federal government does not want to concede uh, in this question of leaving any room Mm. for TPLF to continue to govern Tigray. Hmm. And, uh, you know, how concerned are you that, you know, the fighting, the civil war may, may spread that other groups who feel perhaps marginalized, as you just referenced, would also want to somehow mount resistance against the federal government or the federal government might want to take action uh, against them. I mean, is there a risk of this conflict escalating beyond uh, Tigray? Yes, there's a huge risk of that, and there's already signs of it. So um, like I mentioned earlier, the Oromo um, ethnic group which is the base uh, of the prime minister, or I could say that used to be the base because it, he still has supporters in Oromia, but not as great as the opposition, I would say, um, is that Oromia right now, the vast region of Oromia is part of that region is under a command post type of um, uh, situation where you know communication lines are already down in Western Oromia. A lot of ethnic-based attacks are happening in Oromia um, so uh, it's already been a very volatile situation in Oromia and other parts of southern parts of the country. So uh, when this war is going to require for the federal government to focus on the north and the Tigrayan situation, there's going to be massive uh, instability in parts of Oromia. And we're already seeing accounts of that in the past few days. So this really is not just you know a Tigray problem. Uh, Oromia especially... A lot of people have been dying on a daily basis, both Oromos and ethnic minorities in Oromia, because of liberation 
movements also in, in that part of the country. So, uh, and this is not to mention all these other ethnic groups that have had grievances and are struggling to come up with a way of expressing those uh, sort mm. of demands in this political yeah, system. So, so basically, this fighting uh, between the federal government and Tigray could spark or inspire other groups like the Oromo Liberation Front to also, you know, take up arms and mount some sort of insurrection or also inspire the government to crack down against them. Uh, and that could have a ripple effect to other ethnic groups as well. And it's sort of worth emphasizing that Ethiopia is a very large country with a very diverse population. That's exactly right. And it's already happening with, uh, with the Oromo Liberation Front. They've been fighting um, for two years now since they returned um, to Ethiopia and other ethnic groups also, but not as armed as uh, the Tigrans and the Oromos. So, so you know, what can be done to de-escalate the situation right now? How do you get off that ladder of escalation and break that logic of escalation that you described earlier? Yeah, so I would say, I mean, many um, international um, humanitarian groups and also governments and politicians all over the world are calling for a ceasefire. Um, what that would mean is um, obviously a stop to the airstrikes because the military operation mainly now um, is from the federal government, uh, you know, attacking the military bases in Tigray, trying to disarm TPLF. So a ceasefire would require a stop um, of these operations. And then opening communication lines and humanitarian access for the people who are already, um, you know, struggling in in Tigray. Um, But beyond that, a lot of people are also requiring a kind of zoom out, um, requiring us to zoom out of the process and say this is a national problem that uh, requires a national, you know, very deliberative process of arriving at a roadmap for the country uh, for a new election and for uh, a resolution to a very polarized political space in Ethiopia. So a national reconciliation process, like many countries have gone through, maybe some less successfully, but something like that, I would say, is the root, uh, the problem, that, the solution that would solve the root problems in Ethiopia. You have seen leaders from the international community call for restraint. You do worry that the U.S., which is typically a big player in Ethiopia, along with sort of history of bilateral support for Ethiopia with what's going on here, there, there's just not much focus on what's happening there at the precipice of this awful civil war. Um, are, are there any events or inflection points in the days or weeks or months ahead that will suggest to you um, one way or another, how this situation might unfold? Yes, I think one thing that people are watching for is the intervention of Eritrea. So already TPLF is saying Eritrea has joined the war. Um, that would really change this, uh, the dynamics of the war and make it sort of a regional, um, a regional confrontation. So that's one thing. So whether or not that has happened is really is, is being debated now in Ethiopian public society. But I think that one, that's one thing. And what Sudan and other countries which are pushing Prime Minister Abe to sit down for dialogue actually do, because they've been doing that consistently, diplomats, um, in the past week. But uh, what will be that point for them to say we're going to exert uh, sort of more pressure on the prime minister to accept uh, a ceasefire and, and sit down for discussions with the TPLF. So that's one thing I would say. But I think the other dimension that I haven't talked about is the confrontation between Tigray and Amhara, which is uh, another ethnic group, a prominent ethnic group in terms of 
size uh, of population that is um, that shares a border with Tigray and has had grievances historical now uh, and also uh, questions of territorial dispute around uh, Tigray and Amhara. So there are militias in Amhara regional state which are being prepared and some would say already fighting in, in, uh, to claim some of the land that they think belongs to them in the Tigrayan regional state. So if that war actually turns into a serious confrontation between the Tigrayan militia and the Amhara militia, um, that will really be a serious uh, um, risk to uh, you know, containing this, this war. So even if a ceasefire is achieved between the federal government and Tigray, uh, there is a risk of that civil um, civil war essentially between the Amhara and Tigrayan militia. So that's another risk that many people are watching out for now. I mean, what you're describing sounds like we have a very narrow opportunity in window right now to de-escalate the situation before it potentially spirals out of control into a situation where you have a a number of various ethnic militias Mm -hmm. fighting each other. Presumably, the risk of ethnic-based violence is extremely high, and it's just such a, a volatile situation right now. It's extremely volatile. And the ethnic-based attacks have been going on for almost you know, three years now since the Abe administration took over. Um, it's, it's pretty disheartening, actually. On a, almost a weekly basis, you would hear um, reports of ethnic-based attacks uh, some summary executions of people after being called for meetings and all that. So you would hear now in Ethiopia almost three ethnic groups crying, of, you know, uh, that genocide is about to happen to them, including the Amhara, who've been uh, targeted in uh, parts of Oromia. Uh, and and now we are hearing the Tigrayans because of this a war that they're being ethnically profiled in Addis Ababa and other parts of the country. And the Oromos uh, have been uh, sort of subject um, to extrajudicial killings by the government, uh, which rights groups have pointed out since, you know, 2018, uh, since the OLF um, started uh, sort of reorganizing itself in Oromia. So, yeah, it's a pretty incredible mix of uh, you know, combustible situations that Ethiopia is going on. And I think it's important to understand that complexity when we think of Tigray um, as the, you know, flashing point right now. But it's really the country that needs to find a solution for its, you know, how to balance its diversity in a way that is not going to lead to a civil war. Uh, you know, I've been to Ethiopia a couple of times. I, I love the place. And you're just describing to me this nightmare scenario. And I'm just extremely nervous right now, basically, as I'm yeah. sure you are. Yeah, it's really yeah, scary what's, what's going on. Uh, well, well, thank you so much, though, for your time and for uh, just helping me and listeners sort of understand what's, what's, what's happening right now. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. It was lovely talking to you. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Mastawal. That was uh, very helpful, uh, very sobering, uh, but I'm glad to be able to shine a spotlight on this issue with this podcast. And yeah, these these next few days and, and weeks seem to be very pivotal in the potential future of, of this crisis and the future of Ethiopia and, and the entire region. All right, we'll see you next time. And uh, just a disclaimer, the views expressed in this episode solely belong to those who expressed them. 
All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.